Welcome to the Prairie Glen Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here at Dane Lee. Um, you know, we always like to get right into it. So uh, today I'm going to be going over nutrition and uh, I'm going to kind of go through some things that like kind of, I guess, protocol, you call it, uh, that I've used for the last 10 years or so. Some of it, if you if you follow uh, what people are saying about nutrition, if you follow like different science, um, you know, studies that are coming out and things like that and research that's been coming out and um, <clears throat> some of it's going to sound a little bit familiar, but it, I'm going to put some context to it again. Like this is stuff that a lot of us were putting out 10 years ago plus. Um, and now we're starting to finally validate that because of research and because there are people dedicated to research and these sort of things. Uh, I think we're actually going to start to hopefully get out of this cycle if we can continue to hit the mainstream with it and the gen pops then maybe we'll start to actually get somewhere with nutrition overall um and you could take it to the bank that everything i'm going to tell you works um i've seen it countless times for those that don't know you might not understand my background at this point in my career um i'm comfortable saying that i mean i've done nutrition for over a thousand bodies which you know, oh, a thousand body. Yeah, it's a lot when you break that down. Um, that's all. That's a lot of people every single year, um, and I've seen or helped, you know, thousands of people within the fitness industry uh, in one way or another. So, um, <clears throat> the things that I'm gonna say, like I said, you you can count on it that these things have worked. And not just from an aesthetic standpoint, like I'm going to say, oh, they, they lost a little bit of weight or, oh, their, their body fat went down. No, like this is actually per, you know, their macros. We tested body fat. We watched all these levels. I saw their blood work. So it's not just like, oh, look at this before and after picture. I'm talking like real results here that can be validated through data. All right. And that's the big thing that I think a lot of people aren't paying attention to. Um, you guys get caught up in these quick transformations of, Oh, look at that person. They dropped 20 pounds and you don't realize they did it over like five weeks and that, that typically wasn't an unhealthy, it was an unhealthy drop anyway. Um, and all I did was drastically reduce their calories. Um, which then we find out later, you know, with a lot of people doesn't work. Um, and then some people you try to do that too, and, and not a lot happens and they just, become worse off from it. So um, I'm going to kind of piggyback opening up here off of something that I had. I've had this with uh, multiple clients. It's the most common thing where people are scared to eat. Um, And this comes both on the male and female side. So I can't just say it's one side or the other. Um, But I'm going to take the female side of it because that's typically a side that... um, has been conditioned over a long period of time to like be scared of certain things or, you know, not to eat certain things or to not eat. And, and, um, you end up getting the, these problems later in life from that perpetual dieting that you're always doing. Right. So one thing I'm going to kind of break down real quick is the absolute truth about nutrition is it takes time. Like it's not going to be something that you just do for three months at the beginning of the year in your set for the year. Um, these changes take time and it's like anything else. You don't start investing your money at 21 years old and become 
a millionaire by 23 if you know if we're just doing simple compound interest and you're putting a little money into IRA or something um you know it takes a very long time to compound right so we're going to get into those compound factors but i think people forget that like we're we're so patient with so many other things and you know we can go into a career uh, for the most part and wait 10 years to make it up the ladder a little bit right but we we won't go into a, uh, a a nutrition or fitness goal and wait even a year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the thing is that like, if you want these compounding factors to work for you, it's not going to be a, a three month, six month, year thing. All right, you will see changes, mm-hmm. but that year compound versus that five or six year compound are two different things. That lifelong compound. And this is why you see, you ever hear people like, oh, I'm like in my mid thirties and I'm in the the best aesthetic shape that I've ever been in, you know, or, you know, women that have multiple kids that bounce back, you know, because they followed certain protocols for years before they even had a kid. Then they just continued on with that. Right. right. Um, now, not everyone's going to have the same path. You're going to have different conditions, things it, it's going to happen. So, um, <clears throat> but anyway, getting back to. You know, I, I have these clients that are always kind of scared to eat and I, I'm going to be, it's going to sound like I'm mean here, but like, it's just, I'm going to use societal terms. Um, that whole term of like being skinny fat or whatever you hear from like mm-hmm. a lot of females, um, even males. But the thing is, is that when you're built this way, right? One of the issues is that you've been in a, a dieting cycle for a very long time. And if you do come out of that dieting cycle with yo-yos, right? You go up, you come down, you go up, you come down, you go up, you come down. So what I've done with people in the past that are are like this, if they can trust it long enough, is we get them to stop doing high intense cardio because that's typically what they're doing. Those type of people are typically doing a lot of cardio, not a lot of lifting Mm -hmm. and they're under eating, right? Um, or they're moderately eating, but they're still high intense cardio all time. Car, you know, cardio, cardio, cardio. I'm not saying cardio is bad, but it's going to have a time and place, right? So, to get rid of that image of being skinny fat, for example, I just broke this down to a client that it doesn't have bad muscle tone, right? But there was some cellulite in the legs, mm. um, in the glutes, and the hips that typical like saddlebag look because her, her hips were a little bit wider comparative to like her quad that was more narrow. Right. Okay. So you get that kind of, you know, saddlebag look or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I explained this to her and now she's starting to see after a couple months, what I was talking about is what you have to do is you have to get that muscle underneath to start to grow and a little bit of fat can be added and that's fine. You know, it's going to come with a little bit of weight gain, right? Mm-hmm. But we need to get water, you know, muscle growth, a little bit of fat is going to come with that. That's fine. You know, we need to get that to expand out, right? Through lifting weight. Okay. Okay. So we start to lift weight, things kind of come out and I'm going to cycle way, way down the line. We're not talking three months, four months. I'm talking like could be a year or two, right? Okay, maybe during that time we did a little cut or we came down in macros a little bit, but you need a long time to build muscle, all right? Even like 
higher level people only put out on, on a few pounds of muscle in a year. Right? right. And I understand they're more developed. So like, okay, maybe a, a lower level person can put on a little bit of more muscle in a year, maybe, but it, it's very micro tears that are repairing. Right. Mm-hmm. Very, very micro. So it takes time. Okay. But the point is once you build that up, right, then we can kind of break it down and shape it. All right. It's like a sculptor. If you think of that, okay. they start with a block and then they shape it. Right. It's no different. We got to get that block though first. I need something to work with here, mm-hmm. right? Before we can start to shape. So from a nutrition aspect, nutrition standpoint, uh, typically what we find is these people are under eating. Um, you know, it could be a 13, 14, 15, 1600 calorie range, 1700 calorie range. Um, you know, and I can pull up examples all day on my phone of people that, uh, you know, we take that and we raise it up, you know, well over uh, 2,000 calories a day. You know, over time, we don't do that right away. But right. Um, the purpose of this is we start to build, one, the metabolism will start to come up no matter what. Mm-hmm. All right, we know that. All right, two, um, through, the, through lifting, we're going to start to build muscle. We need a little bit of a surplus typically to build muscle. Right. Now there's a fine line. Too much is too, then too much fat comes with it. You know, too little, you're sacrificing growth, things like that. So there is a fine line to it and you Mm got to figure that out. Uh, We won't get too deep into all that, but then, um, so the, the compounding kind of effects of this. So we have our fitness, you know, training, whatever. Okay. You have your non-exercise activity. So that can be anything sitting here, fidgeting around that could be getting up, kind of moving around, walking, typing, doing laundry, laundry, whatever. All right. We have that. We have thermogenesis. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, that happens after you eat food, you know, there's, there's a spike in that, Mm -hmm. um, that happens just through daily. Um, it's basically your body's way of through the day of utilizing calories to function, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. All right. Um, that's probably the easiest term to easiest way to put it. Right. All right. So we have, let's just take those three things there. All right. So, you know, those three things. And then of course we, you know, we're sleeping, which I guess that still counts in the overall day. Actually, that's a good one to talk about, but we'll do that later. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) What people don't understand is that your exercise, depending on what you're doing, if you're a marathon runner or something crazy, it's going to be a little bit different than if you're not really working out hard. Um, might only be five to 10% of your daily caloric needs, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not going into the, the, to work out in burning like a, a, a crazy amount of calories, not as much as you typically think you would be right. Right. Now that depends on a couple factors. Also what you're doing, mm-hmm. how long you're doing it for the intensity that you're doing it at your body's um, composition. So how much body fat do you have on you comparative mm-hmm. to muscle? Like how many, how fast is your body burning? Like, you know, what are those thermogenic needs? Things like that. Mm-hmm. That's all going to come into play just while you're working out. All right. So there, there's a lot more to it than just like, oh, you need these calories to work out. All right. You have to take it in on an individual basis. 
And especially that like effort level is another thing. So if you're someone who goes in, it's like, yeah, I've been hitting the weights, but you're not really pushing those weights. And that's where, again, this client, I have them pushing weights to like, okay, we're doing compound lifts and I want you to leave about two in the tank every time, you know, maybe three at times, you know, things like that. I've kept it just meat and potatoes simple, right? Mm -hmm. Accessories. I want you to push them to one to three reps left. All right. And then I want you to slowly bring up the weight. You know, okay. we might follow that for two weeks and then, Hey, I'm bringing down the reps, bring up the weight. Okay. Now, now we're mixing like on the next block. Okay. A little bit higher reps, but let's try to start at a better level. I'm getting those compounding thinking going in her head, right? Yeah. For progressive overload and things. So <clears throat> we have all those things in play now. So we know around about, you know, what the workout's going to be requiring. Okay. We know, um, we can kind of understand thermogenics, but the problem is, is that's going to be different for everyone. So yeah, yeah. the, the key here though, is through lifting weight, you're going to build more muscle. Your thermogenesis is going to go up, right? If I increase your protein, your thermogenesis is going to go up because it takes a lot more to digest those proteins, right? Right. So if I feed you more, right. And I'm not saying you need to go eat 400 grams of protein as a 150 pound female. You know, don't do that. <laughs> but if I can sit here and I can feed you more, all right, to an extent, and I can bring your protein to an adequate level, and I can get you to work out a little bit harder, right? Right. So th- now we start to snowball a little bit. So I have you on a higher food. I'm just going to bring up some things. Okay. Remember, just raising that food, we're automatically getting a higher thermogenesis just by raising the food. All right. Now there's an extension. That thought right there probably blows people's minds as like the idea that you're going to end up burning more calories by eating more food. food. Yeah. Now, again, an extent people got to reel this in. Like I'm not saying go eat 4,000 calories from 2000, just be, Oh my thermogenesis. (laughs) No, it doesn't work that way. But now, okay. We got this snowball effect where thermogenesis came up. Activity now is up higher because um, they're starting to pu- actually work out a little bit harder, right? Volumes mm-hmm. up, things like that. Uh, muscles starting to build again, thermogenesis effect. Okay. Now I want you doing X movement a couple times a day. Like this girl, I had her do something simple. I said, she works from home. I said, uh, three times a day for 10 minutes, you need to get up and move around. And I don't care what it is. That is on top of what you normally do. Mm-hmm. I said, you can do the laundry. You can walk up and down your steps for all I care. Go, go out the house, walk somewhere and back. I said, but three times a day for 10 minutes, you're going to do something besides sitting. All right. And what people don't realize is something as simple as like, if you're sitting at a desk, just shaking your legs around, just movement. Mm -hmm. It's micro things like that, that can add up throughout the whole day. Cause remember there's 24 hours a day. Your body is constantly burning. Right. Right. Um, so we get that, that effect going where those things are up. All right. And now we push the food a little bit more and more muscles building. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now let's throw in a little bit of sustained cardio, right? So sustained cardio, that's just adding to our expenditure, all right? And it's adding to the overall um, you know, caloric needs for the day to, uh, cr- to, how do I say this? To maintain where you're at, right? right. So you're going to need more calories unless we're trying to drop them, right? right? So I throw in a little bit of cardio. Guess what I do? I put more food on top of that. So now we're bringing up even more and we can get into like 
you know, all, all the levels that go on in the brain, the Greenland and all that bullshit. Right. Uh, I don't want to go, let's save that for another, I don't want to okay. go down that lane. All right. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, but so now we throw on more food. Now we're going up even higher. Right. Okay. And it's just like little blips that kind of keep ticking up. Right. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden that person's on, you know, 2,500 calories up from 18, 1900. All right. <clears throat> and from there, once I see that body kind of fill out more, mm-hmm. things are there. And the, the biggest thing is people are scared of the weight because you might jump up two, three, four pounds at first, five pounds. You know, it depends on your body type. It oh, really yeah. does. Yeah. There's water retention. There's going to be some build. There's a lot going, you know, there's a lot of things happening in there. But what people forget is that, you know, we can take an athlete and cut them down 15, 20 pounds in a week to make weight. Right. Right. Now those are cuts. It's completely different stage competitor. We can take them down and maybe they're, they're 10 to 15 pounds depending on who they are, how big they are. All those mm-hmm. things. Could be 10 to 15 pound fluctuation between off season and a stage weight lean. Right. And we do that over the course of months. Right? Okay. So what people get scared of is like you're scared to gain these four, five, six pounds that realistically we can go through a cut and maybe we only drop off two or three of those pounds, but you look a lot better, right? Yeah. Maybe we maintain that same weight and you look a lot better, Mm -hmm. right? But people are scared to nudge that up and push that to get the long-term effects because remember, we just did that over the course of maybe six, seven, eight months, right? Mm -hmm. This push. And weren't just in the baby stages of compounding that once they start to get more muscle, once they start to get, um, you know, a higher quality of training, they learn how to push a little bit more. Now we're in the, the stage where it's like, okay, now let's go through a true cut or, you know, now let's go through a mini cut and we're cutting on higher food. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're still feeding the body really well. Yeah. And Honestly, as long as protein is accounted for, you might be, and I've seen it. Lindsay did it. Um, Carrie did it. Aaron did it. I mean, those are three right off the top of my head. I don't even have to look anywhere, mm-hmm. right? They all maintained um, maintained muscle, like maybe within a pound or two. I thought Aaron actually gained. And Aaron gained. Yeah, that was the freaky I remember one. that one. Yeah, and Aaron gained. While they were cutting down, mm-hmm. we literally pulled straight from fat, which is like, fuck. I mean, that blew my mind. Yeah. But again, so people don't think we're full of shit. This is all from DEXA scans. Right. Like this isn't some bullshit. We pulled some calipers and fucked up. This isn't fucking grabbing the in-body scanner. Right. These are DEXA scans that are verifying this stuff. So DEXA can be a little bit off. Right. But you're not going to be off that many times. I mean, it's just not going to happen, right? Um, so, like, these these females kept a large amount of their muscle. And we almost just, it was almost like we just took the fat straight out of there, right? Because if, if it's accounted for and you're on high enough calories, you can retain a ton of the muscle that you've gained. Some might come off, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it typically does happen. But the look that comes with everything completely changes. Now, mind you, now we're at a different point. So when we build, each time we do this, you know, this in and out, in and out kind of movement, Mm -hmm. 
your body composition changes and your look changes completely. All right. So can I ask you one thing though? Cause you just said in and out. So to compare that to the up and down yo-yoing that people do with dieting, mm-hmm. what is the in and out time frame? In and out time frame. So we could be talking cycles of like four five, six months of See, pushing. I think that's really important. Yeah. So, so here's a, here's a good example. Like, um, had a client, we pushed for a year and a half, pushed mm-hmm. food up to go through a eight week cut. Then we went back to pushing a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we went three or four months more, and then we went through kind of a little bit longer ten. I think it ended up being like ten weeks or twelve weeks, um, where we cut down slowly over time. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when I say these in and outs, it, each one of those cycles is months. Right. Not, not. I went out and fucking slammed food with my friends. And then, oh God, we got to restrict this week. This is why you guys get stuck in these patterns, right? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, to kind of go back to to where I was there, you know, with that, that's typically what we see is like. And again, I'm using the female examples because they're there. You know what I mean? I can mm-hmm. use a, a million male examples, and maybe I will here in a second. Um, but it's common that the best results I have are the females that eat the most. That is proven over time. Can we just make that the podcast title? <laughs> the episode title? Yeah. The ones that eat the most are the ones that end up with the best result, right? Um, now, sometimes I can't push to where I want to because of restrictions on weight class if they're a power lifter okay. um, or an Olympic lifter. Um, so sometimes there's a weight class problem, uh, that I can't push, you know, like I, I gotta be mindful. I can't be a jackass and boost them way up. But a lot of, a lot of people have really dead metabolisms. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting, you know, I just took on a lady that wants to stay like in a lower weight class. And I told her, I'm like, you know, she, she wanted to keep her weight, um, about two pounds below where it's at right now. And I said, look, like, to be honest, like your metabolism, it, it, it can be built a lot better than this. And what people don't understand is like, you know, I just got done working with a guy, two guys, they're brothers, um, both, you know, pretty overweight and stuff and, um, you know, lifters and they were literally eating barely more than a 60 year old client that I had. Oof. Yeah. Female client at that. Um, their metabolisms were so fucked because of years and years and years of trash eating Mm -hmm. without adequate dieting through the, you know, through the days. And, you know, I can think of like the one we did actually get him to drop about, uh, 25, 30 pounds. And then he kind of was stuck there for a second. And I told him like, in, unless you want to be uncomfortably low, this is where we're at. We're gonna have to build back up to come back down. And people don't want to do that. So you don't want to be uncomfortably low but you don't want to bring your food back up, sacrifice a couple pounds that you've lost right. to for the long-term effect. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, you know, 10 years from now, those guys will still be in the same spot, probably worse off than they are now. And that's just be, me being honest. Right. That's just, I've seen it so many times. People that I trained, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago that didn't stick to the protocols, mm-hmm. they're the ones that are now in a worse place than they were even before, or they're still doing the same thing and they they look worse than they did before. You know, and meanwhile I have clients that like I don't work with anymore that 
kind of stuck to the same things that are still doing really well. You know, and some of them have went on to, um, to even do better than they did before they kept those things in, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they, they pushed up and hell one stepped on a stage and won a show, like, uh, won the overall at a show, like nice. in, in, you know, anything can happen, mm-hmm. but and that's the person, this is the thing. It's like, that's the person that like, sometimes I'll send, like, look at how she was, mm-hmm. um, you know, before I worked with her, I remember when she first walked into the, the gym I used to work at, I said, here's how she was after like, you know, we worked on nutrition for about a year and a half or so, mm-hmm. uh, two years maybe. Cause I think there was some on and off there. It might've been two and a half years. Look how she was, you know, got a lot better. I'm like, look how she is now. The problem is when you show people that photo of like her on stage, oh, I don't want to look like that and stuff. Right. That's not the point. It's the principle the of principle what of like, yes, took like, that person from one to another. It's the work and ethic and the yeah. protocol that she followed to continue to eat a lot to build that muscle. Because now the thing is, if that girl stops doing shows and eats still pretty well, you know, and just works out diligently, her life has changed forever. She will forever be um, a leaner person. Because of what she did, because now mm-hmm. she has years of muscle build. She has, she's been very lean. She's been moderate. You know, she she doesn't stay lean all you know stage lean all year round. Right. And you know now you're those people a lot of times as long as they went through it properly, mm-hmm. a lot of times they they stay that way for for a very very long time. And it's a lot easier to maintain once you're there. You know, and I'm not saying right. that like. It's easy to maintain stage lean, but once you've built some things up, it gets easier to maintain and you start to be able to get away with a little bit more things when you do back down. That's why you see like, you know, people that used to be extremely fit, you know, used to be, and then they're like 45, 50 and they're still looking pretty good. It's like they've been in fitness and eating decently their entire life. Right. Right. So learn the happens and kept them. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of always having the person doing things with strength training, not just because like you said, it helps to build the muscle and that's going to increase thermogenesis. But we as a society only have a couple of markers when it comes to what we think is our health with weight, which is stepping on the scale and how do we look? Yeah. Which is why so many times when I have helped out women in particular who say that, you know, I just want to tone up. Like, I don't want to get muscular. I don't want to put on a lot of size. I just want to tone up. And you try to explain to them is like, what you perceive as tone, what you think you want to see that translates to the word tone means that we need to put some muscle mass on you. Yeah. Like you can't, you don't have weight to lose really with this. Like we need to put something on you. And then, like you said, if down the road we want to go through some process that's going to lean them out, then we can figure out what that is then. But right now we don't have anything to work with. Mm-hmm. But once you start strength training, that gives this like objective measurement, like of, are you getting better in some way? Like, because the numbers go up. Yeah. It's like, I'm able to lift more. And at the same time, you like have a visual effect of putting muscle mass on. Yeah. The other one I really like, if anybody, you know, feels inclined to do it is go and get your BMR checked out. Cause I went and did it and they actually have like portable versions of this now mm-hmm. that coaches can buy to figure out what your basal metabolic rate is. Like the amount of calories that you burn, like you said, just existing. Yeah. I assumed that I had a higher BMR, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what it was. I just told myself, oh, I have a high metabolism. I got it checked out at one point and it's like 500 calories over 
what it would calculate mm-hmm. for someone my age, my height, and weight. Yeah. Because you, you can find figure out like the calculated or the expected BMR of someone. Mm-hmm. So for someone my age and everything, it comes out to like 1800 a day. Yeah. And it's like, but before any activity, I was coming in over 2300. Mm-hmm. Then you add everything on top of that. Like that's 500 calories yeah. that might not be accounted for. And if you have someone who's good at what they're doing, like you are like, yeah. you would see that pattern and figure out, okay, we need to take this up to fill in that gap. Mm-hmm. But if you have that knowledge from the get go, you could also look at that and find out it's like twelve hundred because you've messed it up. I think so many people. I don't. I don't know why. It's like their first instinct is to drop food, and for most people in common society, that's the wrong move. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. But the other part of it is like we can't look at the micro stuff. We gotta get the macro down first. Like you gotta have a work a good workout uh, routine, like good mm-hmm. work ethic. There, you gotta you know, start tracking your food or you got to start eating better and you got to sleep good. Right. So we have to have this basis of that. And then we can start to get into like, you know, more nitty gritty stuff. But like, if you can't even get that right, like I have clients that like, I swear it's like every other week they can't hit their macros or they're way off or they're, you know, this and that. It's like, you make it so difficult (laughs) to try yourself for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Like all you have to do is follow this to, you know, to a point, you Mm -hmm. know, at least give it a good effort and we can start to fluctuate things and figure it out. Right. Right. And that's, um, that's a problem. It's like so many people want to, they, they want to just, Oh, I'll just restrict and I'm not eating carbs for the next you know month because I'm going on vacation. It's like, that's not the way to do it. Mm-mm. So we're so far up and down. So honestly, like sometimes it's literally 40 carbs difference mm-hmm. and you're and you're lean. Yeah, you know, you're fa- a lot leaner. My, 40, 50 carbs. Yeah. You're a lot leaner. My favorite is uh, when you had started to help me. This was a couple years ago. Well, I, sh- I should say for that matter, some fats because mm-hmm. everyone's going to think, oh, just cut carbs, you'll get lean. No. No. There's fat fat fluctuations also. Um, you had slowly worked up to where I was getting more carbs and I did what basically everybody does, which is, oh my God, this is so much food. Like, I don't yeah. know how to eat all this. And then after a couple of weeks, you get accustomed to it and you're like, all right, now we're going to have like a high, medium, low day. And we're going to like cycle through this according to yeah. what my workout schedule was like. And the low day was higher than what I had started with. And I was like, I'm still hungry. I want more mm-hmm. food. Yep. And it wasn't a big drop. It wasn't drastic. Yeah. It's just like it had built up the metabolism to that point where I was accustomed to having like no, the hunger more calories. Are, yeah. Yeah. Rising. Um, you know, and it's... It's one of those things that like what I hate to see is, you know, and and this is, again, this is getting proven time and time again that like the first thing people want to do is cardio and high intense cardio specifically. Mm -hmm. It's starting to show that like anything above about two times, maybe three times of high intense cardio a week is too much. Yeah. You know, three is pushing it. Yeah. So. You know, and we can get into the fatigue side of that, the stress hormone side of that, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. All that comes into play on your nutrition side is from yeah. from that. Like everything gets affected. That's what people understand. Your body is just one big ecosystem. Like mm-hmm. everything that happens in it affects something else. Right. right. And that can turn into, again, tumbling effects, negative or positive if you go down certain roads, right? Right. 
And um, try to remember the doctor's name. I need to look him up real quick for everyone that might think I'm full of shit. Uh, there's a guy, uh, Brandon Roberts. Actually, he was on. I uh, actually listened to uh, the Coach's Corner has a podcast um, where he was on there, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, on metabolic adaptation. So if you think I'm full of shit, go listen to him because he's uh, <laughs> he's a researcher and that's what he does for a living. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna find out that everything I just said is validated. So, um, and and again, like I want to, I want to go further down that line of like specifics, but I think the people first need to understand like the big message here that I'm trying to get through is this shit takes time Mm -hmm. and you're not, you're not going to see it right away and how you might need to put on a little fat, you know, it might have to happen. Yeah. All right. I'm someone, I explained this um, to someone I was talking to the other day. Um, I try to mentor these young kids and young athletes and people I come across and stuff that like, you know, I was like a skinnier athlete when mm-hmm. I was younger. Right. I played multiple sports. Um, I had some muscle tone and stuff and I, you know, I could, could, you know, I could lift decent. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I it was just built like a skinny athlete. All right. It took a lot to start to push up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where like, you know, by the time I was, you know, in train for special warfare and all that stuff. I think I explained this to you the other day when I was, I think 175 pounds training for that ish could fluctuate yeah. down to like 172 could fluctuate up to 177. So, mm-hmm. you know, around there, um, you know, got hurt, got injured, atrophied down, uh, from, you know, my ACL just fucking going out. Um, <clears throat> came back a year later, got fucked with, you know, Crohn's surgery went down to 155 pounds, right? Dang. Now, mind you, let's back up. I went from 175 to when I started lifting because I couldn't really do as much cardio anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, lifting and eating proper. Cause I moved out of, yeah. um, a setting of, uh, think of living in like a hotel or dorm room mm-hmm. out of that setting to living in a house where I could cook my food better. Um, in that like year, year and a couple month time, I went from like 175 to I weighed like 200, 203, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'd be like high 190s, whatever. Um, <clears throat> that I put all that on just from literally lifting and nutrition in a little over a year, mm-hmm. right? Um, to then I come around and end up, you know, getting this Crohn's surgery and that just wiped me out. I mean, I, I couldn't lift. I wasn't allowed to lift like anything for like three months. And I was in the hospital for three or four weeks, you know, being tube fed and IV fed, IV fed, not tube fed, um, IV fed and all that stuff. Um, I, I forget when my first whole meal was, I think like eight or nine days after the surgery, I started eating like whole foods. Yeah. It sucked. Um, and I went all the way down to like 155 pounds, hundred. Yeah. If you can imagine that kind of, it looked like I was a sick, like I should have took pictures back then. See, that's the thing. I mean, we, didn't, we didn't have our phones. And, right. Yeah. And what's funny is that, like, that's, that's about the weight I graduated high school at. All right. Um, so I'd like literally backtracked all the way yeah. back to there. And, you know, you flash forward, you know, I got back up 
year and a half later, I was like 205 again okay, or so, 210. And then uh, came back down, you know, did CrossFit. And I'm just going through my fluctuations so people understand this. But when I started like really trying to grow again and, mm-hmm. and focus more on like strength side of things and stuff like that, I had to put on a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. muscle, fat, all that. And, you know, I even had little douches like, you know, poking fun and stuff. And it's like, you know, um, I ended up, I, I haven't gotten a Bob pod in a while, but like, it's like the last one I had at 200 and it was like 236 pounds, 37 pounds, something like that. 235 maybe mm-hmm. I had like 208 or 209 pounds of muscle on me. Right. Okay. So I literally had more muscle on my body than like I used to weigh. Right. Right. Um, so that's what I'm talking about is like you have the, these time periods, it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. I had to eat a lot of food, right? I'm not someone who who's naturally like, well, you, I mean, hell, you guys have all seen, like if I take a step back from training and I'm not focused, oh, yeah. I'm not eating as much, I'll drop 15 pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just going to happen, right? So, you know, if you have those goals, you have to push food sometimes, you know, it, it's just, it's how it is. So, um, the phases are going to take time. That's what I'm trying to get at. And especially like the, the worst, uh, trying to get on here and see the worst, I shouldn't say the worst, the hardest clients I have are, um, you know, the, the people that haven't taken care of themselves and haven't there. And usually yeah. they're trying to get an aesthetic goal instead of a, a fitness goal and stuff. Those are the hardest people because they're hoping that it's all going to change around quick. Well, you haven't been working out hard for years. Like you maybe be going to the gym, but you haven't actually trained, right? You haven't mm-hmm. actually put in the work. You know, so you very quickly had a mental change Yeah, and wanted to make that yeah. change physically. Yeah. That, that process is now going to take quite a while. Yeah. You took a long time to get to where you were. Yeah. It's going to take a little well, while to get can back. Change around quick. If you look at like, I, I, hopefully like Kara, look at her transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, call it over. Uh, I don't even know where the last couple of years went. I think about two year time frame. Yeah, I have so. a bad concept of yeah, how long yeah. time. Let's call been. it a two year time frame. <laughs> like, dramatically changed in in the next year it's going to dramatically you know it's going to mm-hmm. keep changing you know it's like that's how it works um and i'd like you know and i'd like to throw i wish i could just pull up everyone because we'd be here for five hours and just <laughs> go through examples like this client did this and this and this um and if you want those examples i will give you specific examples um i mean there's enough there's enough in my folders to, to show you the changes that mm-hmm. happen, you know, um, especially these women right now that I have that have PCOS or hormonal problems. Mm-hmm. It's like night and day. Their bodies are completely different just from some food modifications, actual like macros. Yes. But actual what we're putting in, right. Yeah. The foods we're throwing in to help those hormones. And then also um, the change in, the routines that they're doing. Not all of them are on my programming, mm-hmm. but I've recommended things and they've started to make some changes in that. And you're mm-hmm. starting to see, I like some, I can't wait for them to go get their hormones checked again. Cause it's probably gonna be, it's probably gonna have some changes. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But the one, 
like I know you don't want to go deep on any of it, but I just want to touch on it because it is very interesting and be great to talk about later on because you mentioned sleep. Yeah. And people don't think about the fact that you're going to be burning calories when you sleep, that there are a number of processes go on that require not just the energy, but resources. Mm -hmm. There have to be the proper things in your body that they can utilize because the IGF-1 process that goes on, the testosterone production, the growth hormone, um, a lot of hormonal process, a lot of like detoxification process goes on during that time Mm -hmm. and it takes energy to do all that water regulation all that stuff like it uh, i don't want to cut you off no no but that process becomes amplified Mm -hmm. with working out and what i love is when people track the number of calories they burn in a workout they're like well i only burn 200 calories but you look at the increase in metabolism for about 24 to 72 hours post-workout because your body is trying to heal all you think these Mm -hmm. things that you did to it and then make adaptations in order to make you more resilient and stronger because of it. Because like, it's not just muscle tissue, you know, mm-hmm. tendons and ligaments, it's bones, it's hormones, all of that. You can have a 12 to 17% increase in your metabolism from one uh, workout. I, that's what I wanted to get into when I was, yeah. getting, I was talking about getting in deeper. Come find me after a heavy <laughs> squat or deadlift for the, for that night and the next day. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I, as long as like my brain is coherent, cause there's times like, I haven't slept and just felt like a zombie, you know, but like, man, I, it's just nonstop. It's crazy. Like it, it's almost like you can't get enough food. Right. So that's the other part I was going to get into is like, you start to have uh, that effect also, especially as people start to bring up their weight and start, it's all progressive overload. The same shit you do in training is the same shit you can do with your metabolism, mm-hmm. right? You just have to adaptability. You have to give it that chance. Mm-hmm. If you don't give it that chance, you're not you're not going anywhere. So, so I mean, if you did seventeen percent increase in metabolism at the high end, mm-hmm. that's on someone who's twenty five hundred calories. That's an extra four hundred and twenty five calories. Yeah, a day for you not doing anything, just yeah. recovering. <laughs> well, this is what this is what happens. Like so, with a lot of my. Um, with a lot of my performance athletes, mainly powerlifters, you know, you'll hear like, oh, you don't need a ton of food to powerlift and you don't need, yes and no. The thing is, is if, what you'll find is those people that try to bring down their food mm-hmm. during the heaviest times of their prep, usually are the ones that get injured. All right. Why not give them that food, give them the little bit extra water retention, plus you know they're going to recover, plus that, like, what people don't understand is like when that nervous system takes a hit, that's the, that's the other side of it. Like you're saying, like you're going to have that metabolism increase. Sometimes you might not feel hungry either, which sucks. doesn't kick in for but, a little bit. Yeah. But you need it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, especially like if you didn't sleep or something, you know, and that's where you turn into like, that's, that's the bad cycle. If you like had bad sleep oh, and God, then yeah. like, you know, you need it and you're hungry, but like, you don't feel like eating. Then you go for like gorging on crap. And mm-hmm. then like that 48 hour cycle, then you just feel worse the next day. Like just you feel downward spiral. lethargic and all that. So then you got to make up for it. And I've been there. It sucks. Mm-hmm. It really does. So, um, but that's why typically like you'll see me unless now again, some are on drugs, some are on certain things that can mend this a little bit. Um, I like to bring up at certain points of prep. And again, depends what weight class we're shooting for. If they have to cut, don't have to cut what, how trains going, all, how their leverages feel. I take into account all that. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you know, I have people that like their macros don't change at all for 16 weeks out because their leverages are good. Everything's fine. Like we might fluctuate a little bit, but I'm not making any drastic changes. That's going to change their leverages or fuck them up. If they're feeling good in their training, they're feeling good. Yeah. I just might kick it a little bit so then they can recover for sure. And they're completely fine. And we get that little bit of water retention, which I like. Right. Um, but if we have to make a weight class, then at a certain point, it's time to come down, right? Mm-hmm. That's a whole other ball game. Um, one of my clients that I just took on is uh, someone who used to start cutting weight way far out and loading like sodium and everything 10, 11 days out and cutting it uh, really early, cutting carbs out the last four or five days. Uh, yeah. Uh. yeah, and that's why I told him, like, that don't know. Like, <laughs> like typically we... It just depends. We might take a drop down, but I don't cut absolute carbs. Uh, I cut them late. And the point is, is that like, if you can feed someone longer and again, this is why we get that metabolism up because my clients fucking eat during their meat weeks. Why do you think that everyone has a great pop on meat day, whether they're on my training or not? For the most part, they feel great on meat day because of the way we cut down and the way we recomp, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been seen with multiple clients that were on nutrition or nutrition and programming. Um, because we still feed, we take that food down a little bit in the end. We pull the water if we need to, we add back in and we're good to go. But that feeding is still there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've had that on myself before too, on my cuts when I could eat more for longer, Mm -hmm. I've always felt better post cut. Did you want to add anything in before we get to questioning? Yes, but I think different episode. Because as soon as you talk about that, I want to be like, well, it's the entire ATP process. Like you have to go through <laughs> like, yeah. utilizing glucose in order to make energy. And that like every process of tissue repair comes from it. It's like, all right, I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> so well, do I want to? Yes. The, Are we going know, to? The, no. the argument from that, you know, you know, people argue that all day um, that your body's going to end up breaking down. Um, anyway, and processes and energy and this and that, but why you're making that process way longer. Like it's not quick at all. You know, mm-hmm. um, there, there's those processes, like you're saying that are going on that need to be fueled a certain way. And I think we talked about that a little bit on an, another episode, but, uh, again, that all just kind of starts to depend on what you're doing too. Um, I think the another big takeaway is movement. Like you can't sit at your desk all day, go work out for two hours, slam food, sit on the couch the rest of the night. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really work that way. All right. You need to still be moving. Right. And we can get into a whole thing of that from not only the non-exercise, but then, um, you know, helping, uh, metabolism work, operate, creating flow through the, uh, mm-hmm. through the gut, you know, things like that, helping with the glucose, um, uptake and things like that and regulation of that by moving around after you get done eating. And, but, you know, um, but a lot of people overlook that, you know, they, they think like, Oh, well, that's why you hire. So I went to gym for two hours, but I, I sit at my desk for, you know, six hours, seven hours a day. Like you're not moving. You're not doing anything, you know? So, Mm -hmm. all right. Um, Let's see. Uh, 
Are there variations in nutrition protocol for enhanced lifter versus a natty lifter? Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so the big thing with that, it's going to depend on like what uh, drug you're on. So there are some um, that I've noticed, like if, you know, if a female's on like VAR growth hormone, um, growth hormone's different. We have to be careful of that. And I always, I always do. You shouldn't be taking growth hormone if you don't know the disclaimer about like glucose timing and all that stuff mm-hmm. um, in your, you know, how your insulin works with that and things like that. If you don't understand that, you shouldn't be taking growth hormone to begin with. Um, <clears throat> but I, I kind of give that guidance there. But uh, if they're on like a VAR, um, you know, something like that, MPP, uh, I've coached females that have taken that and stuff, um, you know, then typically we're going to, you're going to burn for the most part, enhanced lifters are going to burn at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. All right. One, typically they're going to be able to compound more muscle and repair a little bit quicker. That repair process takes a lot of energy. Yep. Right. Um, two, their actual like core temperature, blood pressure, Mm -hmm. heart rate, all that stuff can be up. And that just comes with the territory, um, which is going to take a little bit more. Um, and then, uh, you know, some like an MPP loves carbohydrates. So that's one of the things with, you know, taking that specific type of uh, drug is like when you give your body carbs, more carbs with that drug, you're going to get a better effect from it versus if you're restricting. Now, something like a VAR is great to kind of maintain strength while you're taking um uh, or maintain strength while you're cutting down or, you know, something like a trend. Now a trend will dry you out, but that one definitely is going to be able to uh, increase hunger signals. It's definitely going to uh, increase, you know, blood pressure, all those things. And it's going to uh, be able to help during a cut maintain strength as well. So, um, so by and large, yes, like, there, there's going to be a big difference between a natty and enhanced person. Um, now I can say from like what I've seen in people that I've coached before and after they've taken stuff, some people it's not as dramatic of a difference as you think. Um, as far as what they can, uh, what, what they eat or what they can eat versus, um, when they were natty, like some people like have always had that, that quicker metabolism. That's the other thing I forgot to get to. There are some genetic things that do happen as well, you know, <clears throat> but you know, but you can't blame everything on, Oh, I just have a slow metabolism. That's it, it, not the way it works. All right. But anyway, <clears throat> so there are some people that have that naturally fast metabolism. They've been building up for years and stuff. Then they throw the drug in. It's like, it's kind of like, you, you know, they're already up there pretty well. Now, yes, they could probably take in more. Um, but for the most part, like most people get a, a significant increase in what they're able to eat. Um, and basically, I don't want to call it turn it to muscle because that sounds like you just take steroids and build muscle magically. <sighs> yeah, you're going to win fucking the Olympia. Just you take, don't have to do any work. Don't no work. Just eat and take drugs. <laughs> Um, so show up on game day, but you know, and then there's other things within the nutrition. Like if you're on certain things, it's good to take certain supplements. It's good to eat certain foods. Um, you know, the big thing with, uh, taking drugs is the, the protein synthesis side of it. Right. 
So we know that that's going to speed up. Um, we know recovery. We know red blood cells are going to come up a bit. Like we, we know all these things, right? So um, th- that's kind of the big thing when it comes to protocol is just knowing what the person's on, what their end goal is and working from there. So this one doesn't really make sense, but okay. Good. Um, they're basically asking like, when do you, when's a good time to like add in cardio when dieting? Well, here's the thing. I think we kind of went over that before. Like I always like to add in the cardio aspect or any form of extra movement before I start to take away food. All right. Now there's a fine line to that. Cause if you're someone like a power lifter, I can't say, Hey, okay, go, go run a, a mile. Right. Just for extra expenditure. Cause I have people that have done that. They went out and ran two miles. Oh, I was just trying to get some extra expenditure. No, it's not what I meant. Right. Um, so there is a fine line to it, but usually typically I like to add an expenditure. Let's see what that does before we start pulling down food. And right. then we keep in the expenditure, obviously. Um, but you know, I don't like to take food, especially on low sustained, um, cardio and stuff like that. Now, high intense stuff. I'm wary about where I put that in. Cause I don't like to put that in on too low of food either. So, right. I know that like it shouldn't be expected for people to understand the broad scope of the word cardio, but I hate that word because yeah. it's like, hey, do you want to go do box jumps versus you want to go walk a mile? Yeah. Um, do you want to do a circuit real quick? Like all yep. of that can do be- Do you want to lift weights fast because that's still a form of cardio? Right. Like all of that can be considered like cardiovascular training and the idea that like well, you're doing it with the purpose of like having an effect on the heart. Yeah. That's what well, that doesn't say. Like cardio is literally, and this is what people understand, it's it's- heart rate zones of mm-hmm. like where you like you got to get your heart rate to a certain point to be kind of having a know, specific in, physiological in, effect yeah, in, yeah. The, in this cardiovascular like whether you do zone. like zone one through five or like blue yeah. zone green yeah. zone that yeah. kind of thing um there's different forms of doing your measurement for it but because if you say how what's the best time to like put that in there and yeah. you come back to what we said before where you're doing too much of it throughout the week yeah. Well, then there is no good time really to put it in there because you've already overloaded well, for that. The, for the longest time, um, I was very like uh, promoting that, like, oh, we don't do cardio and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron stepped on stage at a DEXA scan of like 6% body fat or something. Mm-hmm. Um, something just ridiculous, right? Um, and she didn't do more than a 20-minute sustained walk and a few circuits here and there. And she did those sustained walks a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. We lifted weights a little bit faster. I shortened some rest cycles at some points, mm-hmm. you know, but we didn't do traditional. She didn't spend an hour doing cardio. You go into powerhouse gym down the road and I guarantee you see bodybuilders in there doing an hour of cardio lift four days a week on the treadmill or on the bike. Yep. yep. And that shows to me, you don't know enough about your nutrition to get to the point that you need to get to now. I'm not saying there's never a time and place to do that Mm -hmm. because there's levels to this. All right. It depends where you're at. Right. Right. But a lot of people don't understand that you don't need to do that hour four times a week. If you know how to control your nutrition really well Mm -hmm. and you know how to expend throughout the day, 
you don't necessarily need to be on the hamster wheel for an hour. All right. Uh, what was the uh, questions you had? So the first one, uh, not nutrition related necessarily, mm-hmm. but tips on improving form and limiting discomfort with hypermobility when lifting. So hypermobility, I'm taking it that they, I'm taking it like they are maybe double jointed or like, are we talking like elbows extend and yeah. Yeah. I am, I'm assuming that's where they're coming from. Um, so the big thing with that, uh, I know like at least in our sport, we kind of let like judges know and stuff like if you're, cause that's an unsafe position to be in. Mm-hmm. So they oh, always yeah. have you kind of stop, um, right before you would fully like lock out like mm-hmm. tricep locked and all that stuff because then it's going to extend. And when that's under load, that's bad. Yeah. So typically we have someone go until like it's a comfortable straight position, but we tell them not to like tense and hard and extend hard. Mm-hmm. So what you're going to have to kind of do is so take something like a squat, for example, right? If you can bottom out a squat, you're going to have to find a point that it, it, it tension remains and you're cutting it before you get too crazy. Now I'm not saying like you can take it down and you know, touch your butt to your ankles if you want to, but like in powerlifting, it's not going to get you extra points. Right. Right. So it just depends kind of what sport you're in, I think for that side of it, but things like the biggest things are the like, uh, pull-ups, overhead presses, benching, stuff like that, Mm. where the joints can overextend too far under load. Um, or if you're, you know, doing pull-ups, if you're like shoulders able to internally rotate very far in your hand you know what i mean if it if it slides any which way this is coming from a swimmer so yeah definitely yeah so those you just need to work on basically like feeling the tension so like tempos would be something great for that person so i i would do a lot more tempo work and learn how to feel your muscles contracting working the flow of the movement and always remain under tension. So I think that's key right that's there. That's the key thing. Yeah. Do not let go um, of that tension because then you're going to put yourself in a more compromised position because your body can naturally move through large ranges of motion mm-hmm. that it shouldn't, shouldn't really go through. So I think that's kind of the key. It's just yeah. tension, work on tempos, um, and it just depends again, which lift we're talking about. Right. They didn't specify on it. I mean, I would imagine that this person will have to do a little bit more work for the body awareness so that I, I really like the way you phrase it where it's like, you need to go through the range where you can maintain your awareness of tension. You have to keep that tension. And one of the methods is like doing the tempos with it, but doing a little bit more research or having some form of feedback more where like maybe you're taking videos of yourself doing it, comparing it. Um, if you have a teammate who's watching you, you have someone else taking a video so that you can then see based on, all right, I felt tension to this point, And on the video, I can tell I only went this range of motion. Those two things end up kind of speeding up the body awareness aspect. Cause like, if you don't have the body awareness and that feedback system makes it so much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Now the second one. Yeah, go ahead. What are the worst misconceptions people have about injury recovery? That it's impossible to come back stronger. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Okay. Well, 
That's probably the biggest one you always hear, like the the injury excuse. And I I I I know I've had my share of injuries, mm-hmm. plenty of them, uh, surgeries, everything. Like I understand it is very difficult. All right, um, I have been fucking wrecked before. Right, I mm-hmm. understand it is difficult, but doesn't mean you can't come back better and stronger right. than that. It will deteriorate over time, and it will hinder you at a certain level. Mm-hmm. Right, so. I'm just going to use myself, quick example. Like, you look at just my knee, all right? ACL repair, they took my hamstring. My hamstring is forever underdeveloped, forever, mm-hmm. forever. My quad on that side is atrophied forever. It will never be as big as the, the right side. And that, we have had extensive work from PTs, mm-hmm. everything imaginable. It's done. My hamstring is about a quarter the length uh, in the muscle belly as my right one maybe half. All mm-hmm. right. So forever atrophied. So I'm essentially lifting on like one and three quarter legs. Let's call it. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so that will forever, I, I try not to use excuses, but like it will forever hinder me. Could I total a lot more if I had two healthy legs? Absolutely. I have no doubt in my mind. It does take a fair amount off of my lifts, mm-hmm. you know, but it doesn't change the game for me to be like, best in the world versus where I'm at right now. Right. So I like that one. I, I think the biggest misconception or the worst, I say worst, not the biggest, the worst misconception is the idea that the only thing you have to do is rest. Yeah. When I, when, when it's actually the opposite, you probably need to be moving more. You need to be focusing on, uh, building blocks back up and right. You got to figure out where that block starts. Mm-hmm. But people are like, oh, I'm just going to take time off. I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to oh, take a God, month no, off. No. It's like, well, now you're adding deconditioning and loss of strength on top of the injury yeah. and possibly so, the loss of strength to everything that was stabilizing and supporting. My my first, you know, my disc herniation that we went through, like mm-hmm. I um, I got, did blood flow, came, saw you, you know, did all the things I didn't do. Mm-hmm. Seven days in. Now, mind you, I was doing some upper body dumbbells and things like that, and mm-hmm. some just movement work. Seven days in, I started benching again, and I think fourteen days is when I started squatting with a barbell again. So now I'd been doing like some kettlebell front squats, mm-hmm. um, things like that, uh, some overhead um, like kettlebell lunges. You know, I've been doing odd things mm-hmm. um, to to just kind of see stability, see bracing, things like that. And I put a barbell on my back at fourteen days out or 14 days post-injury, right? Mm-hmm. Post-herniation. Um, and that was the time that seven months later I came back and PR'd every single lift in a meet. So, now, To put that uh, in perspective, someone would look at that like, oh, I can't believe you're putting weight on your back. Proportionally versus where you were with your squats before. Yeah, I did and, I did one 135 for three sets of 10. I was mm-hmm. squatting a little over 500 at the time. So I mean way, way under. Yeah. Take that to somebody who squats. I mean, let's say you have a high school male or female and they're squatting like 150 as is yeah it's like okay you're not going to put a bar on your back but you body weight squat mm-hmm. what is the version of the exercise that you can start with that Belt doesn't squat. elicit pain yeah. like i just wish people had that concept of like you need to figure out what your threshold is mm-hmm. and then you work your way back up because it's like you said the blood flow aspect that makes the biggest difference it just has to be done in a safe way yeah there is technically a time and place where you need full rest yeah there's a time and place for it but it is rare and it is specific and even then um i had a friend who just got uh 
labral surgery on their hip. And the doctors are like, we want you on crutches as soon as you can. Like Whoa. the day of. It's like, let's go. Like they want movement. I'm surprised crutches and not like a, like a walker or like a cane. I'm surprised That's they want full out crutches. I think it ended up being worse than they expected okay. with what they're going through. Say, like, it's, like to me, I mean, mm-hmm. again, I'm I'm not the surgeon, right. you know, <laughs> but like to me, I would think you would want a better like walking pattern, pattern with it. Yeah. right away. But who knows? Maybe it's like, hey, just precaution. We're going to do this for, yeah. you for like know, a week or something. For a week like, or something. Yeah. So check it, back in. I think that might be a liability thing more than probably. Well, yeah, I guess it makes sense because now that, you know, go see PT, maybe they put them in um, the gravity yeah. walker or something like that. And you know, where it takes away some of their body weight and they start mm-hmm. moving. So yeah, I guess that does make sense. But but it's that idea of rest and also not understanding what the word rest means. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you say, re- well, it's kind of like cardio. It's like you say rest and it means nothing. It's like, yeah. no, all it means is diminished. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, that's what a deload is. It's a period of rest. Mm-hmm. We don't think of it that way because yeah, we have a more mean, specific word. It doesn't word. mean lay on the couch all day. Right. It's like, I'm going to do essentially what you were doing before, but at a diminished load. Yeah. That's what rest is. It's something that is below what you were doing in, at to an extent that the body can yeah. start to recuperate and I mean, recover. honestly, during like my deloads, I like to, when I work out, as I pick up the pace a little bit, depends on how heavy the loads are, mm-hmm. but like I pick up the pace a little bit, try to get a lot of blood flow, get my heart rate up a little, and I always feel better that way versus like just mm-hmm. lethargically going through everything and then like okay, I feel like I barely worked out, but hey, it's deload. No, it's like right. it, every time I move more, it's, it ends up being a lot better. Mm-hmm. So, But now they came up with terms like active recovery day. Yeah. So it's not a rest day. It's an active recovery day. Yeah. It's like, no, all of that falls under the umbrella of rest. All right, I'll come up for soapbox. Remind me, I just saw something remind me while I was looking through for questions. Um, you guys got to watch too, like who you take advice from. So there's a lot of, and I'm going to blast, I'm going to put some people on blast. I'm not going to say names, but like, there's a lot of high level lifters. I know mm-hmm. a higher level of like, they look good. Bodybuilder people don't know a goddamn thing about nutrition. They don't know anything like they, how they get there are fucking idiots, drugs and training and just eating decent. That's what the big misconception is. It's like, you can take drugs, you can train, mm. you can eat like a 12 year old girl and 12 year old boy it's not <laughs> genderize it you know what i mean but you can you can eat like a, to- a toddler and look shredded and then people will think you know nutrition mm-hmm. like it's it's not hard meanwhile that person could look twice as good three times good if they would eat and run their nutrition properly mm-hmm. so that's what we gotta you got to understand and you got to watch who you're taking advice from, who you're looking at for nutrition stuff. Um, you know, I know a lot. Of, I hear the horror stories. All right. And this isn't from like some, you know, Sally down the roads telling me these are top 20 in the world lifters that are coming to me telling me horror stories they've had with other nutrition coaches or their friends on nutrition with this person. Mm-hmm. And this is what they're putting them on and this and that. Like I hear all the shit that goes around. Yeah. Right. So that's when I, when I say like, I've heard this stuff's going on when I hear it four five, six times from the, about the same coach starts to validate it a little bit. Yeah. You know? So 
you guys got to watch like who who you're taking advice from. I should have put these out earlier, but was, this is a spontaneous podcast. I don't know. You're getting better responses by doing it this way. Yeah. I mean, this is the way to go for you in the future. Yeah, li- live would be all right, but like, I feel like I get so distracted, like looking at like, <laughs> hey, what's going on? And then I'd stumble over my words even more. Okay. How do you know if you're uh, eating enough? Do TDEE calculators work and what uh, to base off of? So well, that's a big question. Yeah, that's kind of, it's a little loaded there. Um, so, okay. So <laughs> how to know if you're eating enough? <sighs> okay. This is the hard part. All right. Mm-hmm. Is when I take and I look at, at, to know if someone's eating enough, I first have to take their, what I think, you know, cause it's in the end, it's just an educated guess yeah. of uh, where I think they need to be. Right. And I have to give it about seven, 10, maybe 14 days to kind of see what that does. Sometimes it could be almost a month mm. to see what that does. Are we changing training? What's their training like right now? Are they, you know, someone that's been training consistent, nothing's really changing, you know, uh, lifestyle isn't changing, all that stuff. Are we just tweaking the nutrition? Or is this someone that has really not been off the beaten path, off track, and we have to figure out where the hell they're at, right? Mm-hmm. So we take that educated guess in the way to kind of know whether they're eating enough is how that body responds to what they're doing through the day to what their job is mm-hmm. and to what the workouts are like. So if you're someone who's eating, um, you know, a hundred and I'm just going to throw some numbers out. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think these are off the top of my head. I'm going to try to remember a client that I just took on, uh, not long ago. She was eating 130 carbs a day. Hold on. I'm going to pull her card up here if I can. Um, she was eating like 130 carbs a day. I think our protein was pretty low. Um, down in like the 120s. And she's a, she was 150 pounds. Um, down the 120s, which isn't terrible. Like 120, I think it was, or 115. Um, and then her fats, she was eating an extremely low amount of fats. So she was eating um, down in like the 30s, Right. And this was one of the people that, um, you know, has some hormone issues and stuff. And it's like, oh, well, that's kind of an indicator why. Um, so we put, a, you know, we got her going on her nutrition. Um, you know, we took into account like job is night shift, you know, RN and all that stuff. And, you know, doesn't sleep a lot, has two kids, uh, just had the one couple months ago, has a two-year-old, you know, high stress situation, all that stuff, right? So I'm taking that into account and I'm like, okay, like, especially with the hormonal issue, um, I'm not sure in this PCOS, like how her sugar levels are going to respond. So, um, so even though there's no history of high sugars, uh, PCOS, you, you got, you know, for some cases you gotta be kind of be careful. With it. So we started the carbs a little bit lower. We shot the protein way up, shot fats way up and started to build from there. Right. What I started to notice about her is how quick the changes started to happen, right? 
And that gave me a quick indicator. So meaning changes, her body weight started to drop pretty quick. Nothing had really changed except for this nutrition, right? Um, and that was by feeding her more than she had before. So that started to tell me the metabolism sort of not dead, but just not where it needs to be. So now we got it working right. And this could be the type of foods even that she changed and started eating, right? So now we worked up, you know, over the course of two months, uh, she went up to, um, she, she, we brought her up like 60 grams of carbs, uh, very minimal on the protein and about 12 grams of fat, um, every day over the course of about two months. So, you know, there's, there's a few extra hundred calories in there. And now she continued to kind of drop, but now we're at a point where we know that's maintenance, right? So I know that's a very like loaded question there, um, of how to know it's hard to decipher at first because you don't know until you start making a change in your nutrition. If you start to raise your food and your body weight starts to trend down, that's a good indicator that you were kind of underfed before, mm -hmm. right? If you start to trend it down, but nothing's really happening and you're training hard and your you know, sleep is on point and your stress levels are low and all that. And I'm talking like you've given it like four or five weeks and nothing's really happening. You're probably not eating enough and right. you know you need to go up. Now we, we, I'm not going to get into the calculator part of it because we talked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's different ways to figure that out. But first it's basically, you need to take that educated guess and then you go with it in whichever direction reaches your goal. So that's very hard without knowing more background information. To answer, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I, I would need I would need to ask a lot of questions to to specifically tell you if you're eating enough or not. I was trying to look it up because I was thinking the only way that I can think of to have an absolute measurement of exactly how much is they make this. Did you ever do metabolic carts when you were in college, where like they put the airway like strapped your mouth? And like you just breathe into it and it'll kind of tell you like how much you're burning and figure out your BMR. Maybe in a lab. Because they have a version of that that's a backpack. Yeah. And they've had athletes like you basically you wear it around all day. All day. And as you're doing that, it can track and figure out somewhat of uh, what your shift in metabolism is for like fat utilization versus carbohydrate utilization. But if you end up working out, it'll take into account energy expenditure there. If you're just sleeping, same thing. Cumbersome as hell, right? But it will tell you over a 24-hour period, like as close as they can get to the exact amount of caloric expenditure that you'd have and somewhat of a breakdown on how you utilized the calories or like what type of calories you were utilizing. Short of doing that, which is probably tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on a device, it takes time. Mm -hmm. I say all of that in order to validate what Justin was saying that you got to give it some time to figure those things out because that's the best option unless you happen to have like a spare $100,000 lying around to buy one of these. And even then, like that's not going to take into account the difference. Like that's just one day. If the workout changes, or your metabolism changes because you're eating better and like increasing calories or increasing energy expenditure and having a positive effect. Well, you only know on a 24-hour basis what you burnt, not what you're going to be doing on a daily basis, you know, over the course of weeks or months.
Actually, my first instinct was to ask if you were trading stocks over there, and then I realized it's 8 o'clock. So. <laughs> oh, you can trade for two more minutes in the aftermarket, or I can trade the SPY 24 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, stocks. Actually, um, this is, right now is really hard. I know it's off topic, but, man, it's hard to trade because like, things can just like go this way, that way Any so direction. fast. and. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And like, you think that a company is going to do like, all right. And then like their earnings come out and they get killed, but then they shoot back up and it's like, Oh my God, what's going on? These 20, 30% sways. Yeah. Um, so it's very hard, but if you're trading options and stuff, it's like, man, you, you got to get in and get out when you see the time to get out, because if not, it could turn on you. And the biggest thing is like, we are going to enter a time where ow, it, there's going to be a good opportunity for long-term investors. And, you know, it's, there's some good time to trade. You just got to be very picky and not go crazy, not bet your, you know, whole income on it or anything. Yeah. On that, um, eating front, how much that's the, that's the hardest thing to explain to people. Mm-hmm. Until, even when they give you all the information and you start relaying it back, mm-hmm. it's so hard for them to understand it if they are eating too much or too little. And some people, you honestly, as a coach, you just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Like you have to work with them for a certain amount of time until you figure that out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to be like, like I've had people that surprise me. We start them at somewhere and they trend even for like two or three weeks. I'm like, let's just stay here and see what it does. And then, you know, we make maybe a minor adjustment and like things start to kick in and like, you know, then changes start to happen. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's rocketing, which, whichever way. And it's like, you have to kind of, I said, it's just so much. This is what I hate about nutrition. And this is what I hate about fitness is there so much information to take in, but everyone makes it sound so simple. You know, yeah, because no. I mean, I know we've talked about this, but it's like if you give all the information, you tend to overwhelm people and then mm-hmm. they just, you know, shut off yeah. and they become closed minded to it. Like they need it to be simple enough in order to accept yeah. your help. But when you simplify it, you often exclude certain things yeah. that are crucial. And so someone who doesn't know and says simple things because they don't know yeah. how to actually explain the science sound the same as you. Mm-hmm. And so that person going, like, they can't distinguish yeah. the difference between you simplifying it and someone else not knowing. I mean, literally, unless, like, with those things, that, like, unless you had some form of, like, something that could scan the information of your body every day and AI analyze it over months, mm-hmm. you're not going to know what to change and when to change it and things like that until you actually just put it together yourself. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just so much that changes and it's like, that's, that's what sucks about you watch people quit or you watch people like just not give it the time that's needed or they get somewhere, then they just reverse it. And it's mm-hmm. just like, <sighs> like you almost want to say to the client when they come to you is like, listen, this is a six month minimum commitment. Yeah. If you are going to sign up, are you willing yeah. to do this for six months? Cause if not, well, I, t- I tell people all the time, um, like you're, this is not a short thing. Like this isn't something that I'm going to be able to fix, especially with these hormone issues. Like I'm not going to fix this in like two months. Um, I had a girl, man, this is, it was borderline 
do I refer this person out mm-hmm. um, to a, and I had to tell them that if you cannot handle this, I'm going to have to refer you to a mental health specialist that specializes in this stuff. I can't be that person you, you yeah. bring it to because I'm not qualified for that. Mm-hmm. Um, they were eating. They went through a cut, lost their period for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Came, weight came. I mean, I think they went from like maybe the 160s down to 120. Um, they are eating. They a lifter? College basketball player. Even worse. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how tall? Uh, I'm trying to get a, a sense of the 120. Five, five, six. Oh, wow. Ish, five, five. Okay. I have to, I'd have to look. I mean, not a lot of carbs. Fats down in the 20 range. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, high protein, like 145, 150 grams. Basically eating all protein, no fats, and no carbs. I actually want to bring this up. I'm going to bring, yeah, I'm going to fucking bring this up. Like uh, chicken and protein shakes? Yeah, basically, they were down in the 20 range on fat. Okay. Um, 145, 150s on protein. Their carbs were, um, you know, they said around 150 a day. Um, but some days were like 100, you know, stuff like that. This is where we've been so far. Listen to this shit. Okay. Uh, this is one month. Started every day, one, 175 carb, 130 protein, one th- and 32 fats for 1,508 calories. Okay. Mind you. For people that don't understand this, you cannot just jump these people. You have to see how it reacts. Mm -hmm. You have to watch everything, right? Um, You can't just take someone that is that starved and just rocket them. Okay, you got to take it in steps. Things went good. Bumped 200 carbs, 133 protein, 42 fats. Um, Because she actually dropped two pounds from bringing that food up, right? That gave me the indicator her body needs it, right? Oh, three weeks in, um, signaling what I have like a little note that she was signaling well at 119. Uh, it, food has increased yet, uh, have not seen a dramatic increase in weight. Um, still, you know, having games and stuff. This is in season. Mm-hmm. So lifting and doing games, right. Um, recommended like cutting back on the number of workouts, you know, focus on the sport for now, things like that. This is three weeks in. Remember the starting macros. We're up to 1,990 calories uh, from there. 250 carb, 135 protein, 50 fat. Mm-hmm. Non-workout, we went down to 1,837 calories. A uh, week later, signaling well still, every day, 250 carb, 135, 50 fat. So 1,990 uh, every day. Has she? Has the weight changed at all during the time? Weight came up a pound and a half over the next week, signaling well. Moved to 255, 135, 57. So she's now over 2,000 calories starting from starting at 1,500 a month ago, and she's gained a pound and a half so far. And I guarantee, as long as this girl is following everything to a T, and she sends me the screenshots of her days, so I'm, I'm hoping it's no bullshit there, I will probably get this girl from... I'll probably double her her old food, literally, and I bet you she don't break 127. And if she stayed in this perpetual diet, I'll show you. 
Where, so I'm sorry, you said she started, you started her around like the 1500 and moved her up to how much over 2000? Um, it, do, 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 do. it was, uh, cause I want to do the whole calorie in calorie out thing. Uh, 2073 calories. So 573 is like, let's say 570. I mean, just based on math by increasing that, you'd be saying that she'd be gaining at least a pound a week. Yeah. If you went by the traditional. Right. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see like when season stops and she's not doing as much expenditure there. The biggest thing is I have to get this person to understand how to eat. I, I'm, I said, I'm very surprised you can function is what I had to tell her. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how are you at the level you're at? Cause she's a good basketball player. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you not passing out on the floor? See, in, it's situations like that where people look at the success and think it's because of, as opposed to despite. Yeah. Like you have someone who is such a good athlete that they're able to find a way to function at a reasonably good level even though they're not giving them themselves a proper fuel. So someone would look at that and think, oh, because they're feeling themselves this way, look at how good they're able to do it. Or, you know, they're good while doing this. I should do it too. And I think that comes back to your point earlier where you're like, you look at some of these bodybuilders or, uh, you know, athlete coaches who are putting out information and though they have a certain look, people assume that what they're saying must be valid, must be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure where... Or why I understand like why kind of going through a little bit of a cut, but why to push it to that extent is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. And we, we checked like, I mean, she's lucky. Like there, you know, there was no crazy hormonal issues besides the period being lost, which is a, a bad hormonal issue in itself. Mm-hmm. But there was no like underlying, like terrible thing on her blood work, which is very surprising. That's fortunate. Um, so she got lucky there. Um, and the doctor said like, oh yeah, it's probably like your cut is too much and that's why. So, um, so you have to understand like, this is why I'm like so passionate about this shit is cause like that's literally fucking life changing. Mm-hmm. Like you bring someone's hormonal balance back, you get them to like function better. Right. Literally changes someone's life. Right. And that's not a, oh, I want to lose some weight. So I look better when I go on vacation or like for the yeah. wedding, like, like you said, yeah. That is life-changing. Yeah. This person's going to have such better clarity with things too because you can see it in them mm-hmm. when they come to you and they're that starved. Anxiety through the roof. You can see it like very um, worrisome. You know what I mean? Oh, very yeah. like twitchy. Very like – and you can, and that's just through talking. Like text, I can read that. I mm-hmm. can see it, right? Very, very like – like I said, that anxiety factor of like – Oh my God, what if I gain too much? What if this and that, you know, and that probably is trickling into every other part of the life. Right. So when you bring back that balance, it's like the stress level. Alone oh yeah. Probably, probably, uh, you know, comes off a lot. So, I mean, I know we talked about it before, but the science behind it, meaning like you get to a certain point where body's like, we don't have fuel and in order to function, because apparently this person needs to, this is what the brain is saying, like, this girl needs to continue playing basketball or performing at this high level, but it doesn't know rationally that it's a sport. It thinks that this activity is a means of keeping her alive. It's like things are clearly dangerous mm-hmm. because we're very active. So we're running yeah. away from danger or something, Yeah. but we don't have fuel. So what are we going to do? We're going to kick up the thyroid and try to produce energy that way. 
Well, we can't, part of what happens there is we're going to put ourselves in a stress response. So now we're going to dump ourselves with cortisol. And so, yeah, you do see this incredibly heightened sense of anxiety and stress that comes with it because that's a stress response. You put yourself in a sympathetic state. And now, I mean, I'm speaking from experience with it. Like everything that hits you, hits you as a much higher stimulus than it should. Mm-hmm. Like the littlest thing now seems overwhelming. Yeah. And even just having a conversation, you feel jittery, you feel on edge. Like having that resolved by getting things under control. Yeah. Like you, it does, it affects everything. Well, we saw that, you know, years ago, someone came through the door and we had to send them eventually, like tell them like, you need to go seek like mental health versus mm-hmm. us doing nutrition um, cause they were like showing up here, like freaking out, asking for their coach all the time when their coach was like training or busy or oh, whatever. Yeah. Remember yeah, I do. And like that person like would not eat, they were eating literally like, um, like a tuna, tuna, like on a salad mm-hmm. in the morning and then like a yogurt for dinner, like uh, maybe a piece of bread or something like here and there. That was like their whole day, half the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, then like they would get like a chipotle meal for like that was their yo-yo basically yeah you know um and that's like we those are things that we we borderline don't even take on you know but like we feel like okay maybe we can help this person but if we see that that point Mm -hmm. we can't help you you need to go seek mental health first because we can't make you have a better mindset with the food if that makes sense oh yeah it does we, yeah. we can coach you through stuff, but that is a whole other ball game. Uh, eating disorders is a whole other ball game. So, um, you know, with that, we have to be careful. But I knew if we, you know, if we keep talking long enough, more will come through. I should have put this up <laughs> hours ago. Uh, do macros have to change on training versus rest day? Um, no. Short answer, no. Have they, to. They don't have to change. Nothing is have to, ever, right. really. Um, the reasons like we would do that would be for, um, energy caloric balance throughout the week to lower it is, is kind of a reason we would have non-training versus training. Um, so if someone's in a deficit and I want to bring them down without pulling too much from the training day, cause I want them to be better fueled on the training day. Um, you have to remember like the timing of carbs and things like that. That's usually what we're adjusting more than anything. Maybe a little bit of fats here and there. Um, but the timing of those, like you can go eat 40 grams of carbs that are going to, if it's, you know, quicker digesting one, that's going to digest and be energy very quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the next day we just take that out, but you needed it for your training, you know, um, or it could be a bowl of, you know, oats that -hmm. you needed for your training. But you know, next day, we don't really need it because we're not training today. Maybe our movement, we're not moving around as much, things like that. Um, but it, it's not a yes or no. Like it doesn't have to be um, training, non-training. And there's other ways besides that. So, um, you know, it just depends what the training is like. Mm-hmm. So you can do methods. Uh, there's methods where I do one high day, three low days, three high days, one low day. Um, I do where it's, uh, a five day, two day, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there, there's all kinds of ways to mess with it. Right. And all that matters for basically caloric balance on the weekly. Um, there's some things that can, you know, happen with like insulin responses and things like that. 
Um, if he pulls some, adds some, you know, yeah. there, there's things that can happen, but we're talking like fine tuning at that point that doesn't really need to happen. So when do you prefer clients to jump on nutrition coaching prior to a prep? Um, so again, that's, that's something that's like one year out. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's something that just depends on like, what's, what's the goal for the prep, right? Or when's, what's the goal for the meat? So you take like, um, you know, uh, it, it depends like, uh, Chloe Lansing, for example, I think she hired me six or seven months before a meet that was coming up to make sure that one, we had enough time got, you know, I could get used to everything. This is where yeah. I like smart athletes, like, um, hired me way out so we could get used to everything, see how it goes. And hopefully I could build her metabolism up a little bit. So it wouldn't make her cut so hard. Mm-hmm. She had to cut pretty hard before. Um, and we flipped that and we got it up a little bit and, you know, we pushed the best we could cause she still had to come down a, a significant amount in weight to get back to the class. So we pushed where we could and then we backed off. And, um, you know, unfortunately, like, I think, I think like two weeks out from that meet, she, uh, is when she like, she hurt her, I forget if it was her quad or her something. Um, but like we, we hadn't even like really pulled food or anything yet. So yeah. it wasn't, it was just a training freak accident yeah. kind of thing. Um, something that I think she had tweaked it and then it just got progressively worse. It never fully recovered. And mm-hmm. it's a risk we all take, and especially someone at that level. I mean, was she like top five in the world? Like, you know, you're gonna, there's, there's a lot of risk when you're pushing yeah. those kind of weights. Um, so you know, shit happens, but, um, you know, she was smart enough to bring, bring me on far out. So I got used to her body, could see how things reacted. We could fine tune whatever we could fine tune. And then going into that, that cut period. And then hopefully then if she would have competed, we would have had the time of actually taking out the water, taking out all that. I mean, she was like, I would have to look back, but she was, she was already pretty close on still pretty good food. Yeah. Um, you know, distant out. I mean, it was an easy cut coming. Um, but you know, then now she takes that stuff and she uses it, what she learned to kind of mm-hmm. move forward. Um, I think she competes here in a couple weeks, um, maybe two weeks now, you know, and made it through this prep fine and mm-hmm. everything's good. Um, you know, I have other clients that have done that where it's, it's typically like six, seven, eight months out that they'll hire me. The people that try to come like 10 weeks out, eight weeks out, and they're like, okay, like I want to get on nutrition for this prep. The only thing I can do is maybe manage you. I, I have a, a client now that's doing that. Um, she came about eight weeks out, seven weeks out. And we're managing weight now because she's going to get on nutrition and programming after the meet. Okay. Um, I, It's not smart to switch to a programming coach seven weeks out. No. Um, yeah. So she's, you know, on that and then. You know, kind of gives me a chance to kind of see how her body reacts to things anyway. Um, but there I told her, I'm like, look, there's not, we're not going to change a lot. We're not going to be able to tweak a lot right now. Post meet is when we're going to be able to work on things. I don't like the idea of taking someone and manipulating their food a lot unless it's to help make weight. I will help you make weight if that's all you want. But I cannot really do a lot in that short time frame mm-hmm. with seven, eight, nine weeks. There's, there's not a lot you can do because we have to worry about the meat. We have to worry about performance. We can't change the body composition a ton again, Mm -hmm. unless we're working towards a cut. Some people have tried to do that 
or they came to me for bodybuilding shows way too late. And it's like, your metabolism is, is shit. What am I supposed to do with this? Right. You want to cut down on this? How are you expecting to lift? Or how do you expect to get lean enough for the stage? Like, this is going to be hard, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, I would say months in a, well in advance. As the person who has worked on the bodies who have had nutritional advice from you and also those who haven't, <laughs> mm-hmm. knowing that if they had had that aspect like in the preseason or off-season portion, yeah, how much healthier their body is going into the prep. And so giving yourself those like several months prior before you even like just from a tissue health standpoint, I've noticed a big difference. Yeah. Now all that take you know, all that comes into play. That's mm-hmm. what people don't get. <sighs> Thank you, Bree. Bree's asking questions here. Um, how to adjust macros when daily expenditure is constantly changing? Um, mm. We cut. We kind of answered that a little bit, I think, earlier. If I can remember uh, when we talked about like what your day involves and things. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, I think the big thing again is is weekly expenditure focus more on that. Yeah. Um, in your daily, like, and again, I don't, I'm not sure what she means here, but I, I'm, I'm guessing it's like, meaning if one day you're running around a lot versus the next day you're sitting around more, maybe one day you're like, you know, you got work this day, but you don't have work this day. Yeah. You know, things like that. Again, it's a weekly thing anyway. You know, we mm-hmm. need to think about it, the bigger picture rather than the daily. Um, if you do have something coming up where it's like, okay, I know that we're going to go to the zoo and walk five miles tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. You, you probably could use a little bit extra, um, mm-hmm. food with you, hydration, um, uh, make sure that you're, you have the right micronutrients, um, and aids for that hydration, especially everyone goes to the zoo in the summer never been the zoo in the summer and walk five six miles and you're sweat you're sweating Mm -hmm. all day and you don't realize it (laughs) then you're dehydrated and don't realize it yep so um yeah a lot goes into that there but i think it's just focus on the weekly rather than the daily so um i think we're at like 20 hours here in this podcast so i should probably cut it down there but i think is is there anything i'm missing here because i i feel like it's, it's just yeah. depth. Like you it's, said, like you don't want to go deep into the certain aspects in order to cover it, but I feel like this was a good job of giving the outline of the way that you look yeah. at things. I think, you know, one maybe one we could talk about ghrelin and leptin or mm-hmm. something at, at some point in a podcast. That, that would take it to kind of another depth. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe a future podcast we can talk about those things and, you know, we can tie in maybe some other hormonal things like growth hormone or something. Yeah, because getting people to understand, because you keep saying like it takes time, getting people to understand why it takes time as far as like the endocrine system is slow as fuck. Yeah. It's so slow. It's, it is literally the traffic jam on the highway when you still have 10 miles to the exit. Yeah. That is your, that's your endocrine system. And it like, it doesn't care how badly you want to do something. It's like, yeah. all right, if you just keep giving me this small signal, I will eventually respond, but I'm going to take my time. Yeah. And you're talking weeks and months and Could sometimes years, years mm-hmm. to have this happen, depending on how much of a mess you have made out of yeah. that system prior. Yeah. That's where the, like the, you know, the drug question earlier, um, you know, people that take drugs and stuff, like when you come off those drugs, it takes years for mm-hmm. things to, to move back into place sometimes. 
um, if you've been taking them long enough and if you've done enough damage, you might have to have some kind of hormone therapy the rest of your life, or you might mm-hmm. have to, um, take certain things to hopefully get stuff to move right and bounce back. And a lot of times you have to go to like doctors, endocrine doctors and, and figure it all out. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a long process. Yeah. It's not something that your endocrine system doesn't change on the weekly. <laughs> That's no. for sure. No, It, it says, fuck you. We're going to. We're going to keep this traffic jam for a while. We'll make these little changes. Yep. Yeah. You know, not to go too far off track, but it's like, if you ever heard, I'm sure you've heard, like, if you lift with one side of your body, the other side will go oh, yeah. too. And it's like, don't the, go do that. If you literally like. Contralateral expect, innervation. Especially yeah. if you were like a, a newer person. If you lifted with only one side of your body, the other side would follow suit. It might not be as developed for sure. Right. Um, but it will grow with it that's another reason with the whole injury thing that we talked about it's like if you're able to exercise like the opposite leg Mm -hmm. it has benefits to the side that's injured even though you're not using it yeah like you can use that to your advantage yeah but it requires moving and not resting bodies not some surprise we're not growing new parts or something in our evolution maybe we'll fly one day that'd be be amazing honestly like i hope hope I can come back through like the metaverse or whatever. whatever. <laughs> people start flying around. Then. Yeah. I just want to fly. I've had so many dreams of flying. Yeah, I've yeah. seen some really cool like wingsuits and uh, the Iron Man. Yeah. Was it uses like forced air on yeah. the arm? Oh, those are awesome. I, I really want to do something like that. I just know I'd probably die. <laughs> like I, I'm risking my life, but this would be a great thrill. It'd be the best way to go out. Utterly terrifying. Yeah. But. Hell of a way to go out. Yeah. So. How did Justin die? Being Iron Man? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> did not work out well. He <laughs> ran into a mountain wall, but uh, he had fun doing it. So. All right. Well, I think that was probably the, probably the longest podcast ever. So. Coming up on it. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, you know, at least hopefully people start to understand the concepts I'm talking about. And again, like, I, I think... In future episodes, I'll go into that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think also I'm going to pull in. I try to piece in certain clients, you know? Yeah. But I might piece in more and go over like, this is what I did with this person. And I know you guys can't see the results. Maybe I'll post those up afterwards and say, you know, I'll post them on the day of the podcast or something and say, mm-hmm. this is the before and after of what happened, you know? So um, so people start to get the idea of what I'm talking about. So. See, this is where I'm not prepared because I worked out and I had my little dried papaya and I Mm. had my protein drink and I decided to podcast and Mm. now I haven't eaten in four hours. So So speaking of nutrition, speaking of nutrition, Justin needs food. I'm going to go eat a fuck ton of food and I'm (laughs) going to sleep. So, all right, that's it.